Welcome, listeners, to the sixth episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me today, as always, are co-hosts and powerful wizards, Robinson Sien and Christopher Wikström. As always, most important, welcome all of you listeners. Hello. Hello, everybody. I hope you had a good midsummer in Sweden or Etestupa, if you're into that stuff. Oh my god, I'm not into that stuff. Don't put me in a bear. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Tech app. In today's episode, we shall discuss our continued testing with Modern Horizons 2 cards in both old and new decks. Also, we will reconvene the Basic Land Connoisseur panel, uh, and this week we will be looking at swamps. Lastly, more brew discussions. Uh, but no rest for the wicked. Robin, how was your magic week? Alright, so I have been uh, playing a little bit of lands and brewing a little bit of lands. And uh, what I'm really doing is trying to find uh, a good fit for the Ursus Saga land enchantment. <clears throat> and I'm I'm not really looking for the best deck that can play it, but the best home for that land, so to say. Um, and, uh, like... The first splash that Ursa Saga had was uh, in an artifact home uh, with uh, the deck affinity that that utilized it and uh, made ver- uh, a very big splash in the legacy scene uh, with the printing of Modern Horizons 2. And I mean, <coughs> Ursa Saga obviously is, is a card that has great synergies with all of the artifacts in that deck. Uh, the fast mana to activate it uh, as early as turn 2. Uh, and uh, a lot of uh, artifacts to to pump the construct, but it's, in my opinion, also a, a little bit of a disenergy because that that deck is is filled with creatures that you just want to jam out on on, on curve, so to say. So you don't really need a mana sink that Ursus Saga can be, <coughs> and it's a little bit of a liability that it uh, becomes sacked because I think you, you you need that mana to keep pumping out your your guys. So in that regard, Lance is a is a great home for this uh, for this card. Lance is a deck that has uh, an abundance of mana, and when your when your deck is doing what it's supposed to, de- to do, you have a, a lot of lands in play already at turn three, and you can start spending your mana uh, by on making constructs. And like th- that's why the deck uh, used to play Richard on Port for for example. Uh, because you have so many lands in play that you can uh, you can use them to to do other things than casting spells, uh, and there's of course a great synergy with Ursa Saga with Life from the Loam and uh, also f- with the Thespian Stage, which can copy it. It's a little bit convoluted <laughs> the rules around that, but uh, let's let's not get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's not do that. Uh, but but there's a great synergy anyway. You you can recur the Ursa Saga, so the sacrifice is not so so threatening for you, and uh, and you can make more Ursa Saga with with the stage. Let's leave it at that. But there's uh, two problems that I have encountered with incorporating Ursa Saga into the land deck, and one of it is uh, how tight the the space is in in land deck. Um, because, <clears throat> I mean, the deck consists mostly of lands, but the lands also do uh, much of the heavy lifting in the in the deck. Uh, act act like spells, so you have a a pretty large win con package already in lands. Uh, and even though lands is not really a depth deck, it is heavily reliant uh, on the threat of a merit lage, in my opinion. Uh, and what I've been doing is is cutting down on dark depths and try to play a little bit of a slower and and uh, perhaps perhaps more grindy game. And uh, my experience is that the deck doesn't really function if if it doesn't threaten with the dark depths uh, as early as turn three, something like that. And uh, you also have a lot of utility lands to look for with crop rotation and to just dredge with loam and and put put on the battlefield and uh, in in my opinion those utility lands is an integral part of 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 the lands deck and you you cannot really have them in the sideboard because then your sideboard becomes worse and your game won against uh, graveyard decks or combo decks 
or uh, go wide creature decks becomes much worth if you don't play Bayuka Bog and, and uh, Tabernacle of the Pendled Whale for example. So, <clears throat> and then you have the sort of late game is already a little bit uh, covered with Field of the Dead. As soon as you reach 7 mana, Field of the Dead does a real good job at clogging up the board and presenting uh, a lethal attack. Maybe you are hiding behind a glacial chasm and just waiting to get enough zombies for an alpha strike. And I mean, I think that Ursa Saga maybe will be doing that better than, than Field of the Dead uh, in that position. But is doing that better really required? So, as I see it, the, the pro of Ursus Saga is that it's a little bit faster than Field of the Dead because you can make uh, start making blockers or attackers as early as turn two, uh, which is really good. But uh, I haven't really felt that it fits into the sort of play style of Lance. That is at least my experience. I mean the the power the power of the recurring Ursa Saga through Life of the Loam and uh, and uh, Thespian Stage is of course very powerful, but I guess also slightly more susceptible to disruption compared to other win winning strategies uh, of the deck. Say for example, if someone surgical extracts your uh, your uh, Life of the Loam, that becomes a huge problem. Uh, whereas uh, corporation uh, can can fetch you, for example, a depth combo from the deck, uh, whereas this combo becomes quite graveyard uh, sort of dependent. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that lands like to have a, a diverse set of threats. Uh, so when there was only <laughs> Dark Depths, uh, which was the win con, I think that that build was a little bit weak to just surgical extraction on the Dark Depths because then you didn't really have any win con. Uh, but now that you have Field of the Dead, uh, oh, oh, actually you had Punishing Fire, but that's a really slow, that's a slow way to win. So so I, I like uh, the sort of uh, the diversification uh, and also that it uh, presents a little bit of different kind of threat than Field of the Dead. I mean, Field of the Dead could be maintained with certain cards that sort of uh, stops small creatures, while the the construct from Ursa Saga will only grow and grow as uh, the, the more you make of them. So you could theoretically uh, win against a deck that uh, that makes a lot of life or something like that. <laughs> sort of the the way that the mentor can can go really wild and uh, and deal out really uh, a lot of damage but uh, yeah I mean uh, maybe it's a little bit uh, uh, more relying on on the uh, on the recursive engine uh, of right from the loam since it sacrifices itself but I think with maybe with uh, with the interaction with uh, thespian stage you can keep it going even if your loams are surgical. The space in lands is a little bit uh, taxed because uh, since the printing of Force of Negation you cannot re rely on, on, on life from the loam as much as you could before. And uh, like the, the, there used to be this sort of uh, meta game or game within the game so to say where you would uh, hold one of your your cycling lands just to, to draw your your life from the loam to to protect it from uh, from surgical extraction, and that way you could play around that. But with force of negation, there's there's no playing around that card, so you just have to play into it. And uh, with the printing of Alicut Exploration, it sort of uh, adds more engines to the deck, but that also takes up more space. I think it's quite interesting. Also, uh, we're talking about how the uh, Ursa deck uh, or the Ursa addition to the deck is more. Uh, reliant on uh, some sort of recursion like loam, and I'm not I'm not really sure if that's uh, if you're compared to Field of the Dead. Um, I've played against Field of the Dead quite a bit, and when my opponent gets their uh, life from the loam surgical, their main source of getting land drops and hitting seven uh, also disappears. Uh, what I think is really good with Ursa Saga is that. With only one land drop, you will present uh, a lot of times just two constructs and fetch a retrofit or foundry or something like that, which I think is uh, 
very good for a land drop in a deck that plays so many lands. And then if you have the Thespian stage, God let us no, not go into that. But there are so many cool interactions with it. Uh, everyone's heard of the Blood Moon. Uh, you know, you can get land to gain the ability. Like the, the object of the land gets that ability. And I just think it's, it's very cool. Uh, I think field might be better against exactly back to basics uh, due to you still making land drop present threats. But otherwise, I'm 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 quite high on uh, Ursa Saga in that deck. I think it's uh, just one land drop that presents a lot of trouble, and it doesn't feel great for a Delver deck or something to wasteland uh, your Saga when you have Maces or Tabernacle in your deck. So I think it's very interesting. Yeah, th that's not the target you want to waste, that's for sure. I, I, I do like it as it it comes down a lot earlier than, uh, uh, than Field of the Dead. And Field of the Dead sort of needs you to already bridge into the late game to be relevant. And uh, like playing a turn 2 Field of the Dead feels so bad <laughs> because it comes into play tapped. Or the turn one, <laughs> you just play it tapped. It's like the uh, back in the day when you had one green mana source in your land's opening, you went thick at go. <laughs> it feels terrible. It, it's like the 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 start of shame. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's certainly interesting. It's a little bit hard to to fit it in my opinion because you also want to have a little package. To, to fetch with the saga when it sacrifices, right? And the only natural inclusions are the Mox Diamonds, which which are already there. And uh, and then there's the Expedition map that you can play, which is, I mean, it, it's uh, it's a land tutor, right? So it, it fits into the deck theme. And then there's a, a really nice little tech that I have seen, which is the Equipment Shadow Spare. I will read it out for you. It's a... It's a Artifact for one mana, so it's fetchable with Ursa Saga. It's a legendary artifact equipment. And the equipped creatures get plus one plus one and has trample and lifelink. And the equip cost is two. And then it has an activated ability which is one colorless for permanence. Your opponent control lose hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. So what <laughs> what this little artifact does, it, it you you shove it onto your merit lage. And then you can trample over all the blockers and gain a little bit of life. So it's a it's a nice little uh, uh, nice little way to to sort of uh, combine the strength of uh, the already existing shell of lands with the Ursus Saga tutor ability, uh, which fits very well into the theme, I think, uh, because uh, nowadays uh, there's a lot of thopters, there's a lot of quattles, a lot of flyers in the way. For a merit lage, and if you play Turbo Death, you have Sejiri Step to sort of trying to uh, plow your way through uh, uh, through blockers. But in in lands, you mostly only have uh, Punishing Fire for that. Uh, so, so this is a little sweet way, in my opinion, to strap on a, a spear on your merit lage. I'm I'm image googling merit lage as we speak here to sort of see what will this creature look like wielding the shadow spear. Um, and and merit lage is a funny creature. It seems to be like this enormous squid-like super big sea monster that also has flying for some reason. So I imagine the spear will be quite tiny in her tentacles. I, I thought of something really fun <laughs> that like an image popped into my head when you talked about equipping Martlage and it's not the uh, this 2020 holding a one mana artifact equipment but it's it was rather imagine uh, you know that Spider-Man picture when two two Spider-Man are pointing at each other and they look identical uh, I just imagine like a board state when you're playing against Depths or another land player and both people have Marit on each side and then your saga fetches this and you equip it and attack. <laughs> Are they going to block because you're just going to activate it and just crush their merit because it loses indestructible? Yeah, that's real nice. Uh, the, the, the only problem with that example is that there never is a merit lage that survives in the, in the mirror because of the Caracas recursion. Uh, but uh, I, I, always, uh, I always thought of merit lage sort of uh, like the, the Cthulhu monster that arises from the yeah, from the depths. But uh, l looking at this uh, shadow spear, 
at first I thought it was a vehicle because it looks a lot like uh, like a, a Protoss, uh, s- some sort of uh, spacecraft from StarCraft. <laughs> I'm going to quiz you guys if you can uh, read me the card text of Wrath of Marit Lage. Is that the blue enchantment? This is a blue enchantment for 3-2 blue from Ice Age. When Wrath of Marit Lage enters the battlefield, tap all red creatures. Red creatures don't untap, unit controllers untap steps. I love it how there is this super random enchantment, Wrath of Marit Lage, whoever that is, an Ice Age, and then decades later, Marit Lage sort of surfaces in the cold snap, and it's now this staple. Also, the image for Wrath of Marit Lage is like a, a tree, a black tree uh, against the yellow background, sort of a twisted, stumped, dead tree. And also the, the flavor text, and that's what I'm coming to here, uh, to, to hark back to your Cthulhu. Of course, it reads, Dread Marit Lage lies dreaming, not dead. Exactly, exactly. So uh, <laughs> the call of Cthulhu is calling us out. Yes, that's why we're playing Lance, because we dream about it and then we have to play it. All right, so I, uh, I just want to say a few more words on Ursa Saga before I round it off. I, I, uh, Ursa Saga has also been popping up in blue shells and I, I quite like that a lot because uh, in blue shells you don't always have to um, like spill your hand so fast you can play a more of a draw-go style of, of magic uh, don't need to play to the board and all of the free counter spells is, uh, is quite good when you are uh, uh, busy making constructs with, uh, with your Ursa Saga and uh, um, like the the end step making a construct plays nice with uh, spells like force of negation for instance uh, and I mean in, 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 a, in a blue deck you can sort of fit a little bit of a package maybe pithing needle retrofitter foundry ah, th- I'm sure there's more uh, artifacts to fit but I think that's quite a nice shell, and of course there's ob- some obvious synergies with standstill, uh, as have has been seen uh, some of the online results, and uh, you can also you can also get your your dreadnought <laughs> from the from the Versa Saga. So it's, I I kind of like it in a blue shell, uh, and then there's the obvious painter shell, which is quite interesting. It has the synergy with the grindstone and the artifact theme. Uh, which will grow the uh, the construct, and also I think that the it's commonly known as the the plan B or sometimes plan A for painter to actually just beat down with your dorks, and the constructs are great dorks at at that. Uh, so like the only problem there is maybe the the dis synergy with Blood Moon and Magus. Uh, but uh, I'll let uh, Christopher talk about that. He's the painter player among us. Uh, but I- uh, just as a as a closing, uh, I just want to mention the Cloud Post shell because Cloud Post deck is already playing Expedition Map, as I was talking about in the land section. So uh, that has uh, some nice synergies where you sack your Ursa Saga and get the Expedition Map, which can find the Cloud Post, and you are sort of uh, uh, you are uh, forwarding your game plan in that way. And I think also the constructs can bridge the early game where the cloud post deck is a little bit vulnerable um, to make a few blockers or attackers and something that uh, occupies the opponent in doing something else just to then making land drops as, as the cloud post decks is usually doing. And there's some really good hitters when the Ursa Saga is sacked, not only the expedition map, but also of course the pithing needle, which is very important to stop wastelands. And uh, you could also play your candelabra of Thanos, uh, which is really strong with the cloud post lands, and just tutor it up with uh, Ursa Saga. So I think that's a great shell actually for cloud post, but I haven't tested it yet. Uh, maybe I will uh, proxy up some of the cards and try it out to see how it feels. I was just going to ask you: Do you have a candelabra of Thanos? I don't. I don't. Sadly, sadly. It's a it's a great looking card. I would really like to own one of those.
Well, that concludes uh, this week's Ursa's Saga talk. <laughs> I'm quite certain we will be coming back to the topic uh, in another podcast in the near future. Uh, Christopher, what went down your side magic-wise this week? Like I mentioned last week, um, I've been looking at the learn a bit, and I played uh, Otaba's Crystal Learn, uh, the same 75 that I talked about la- last week, and I think this deck is very cool. Um, I realized just how much of a pain in the butt it can be um, to play against Grist if you're a fair deck. And it doesn't kill the opponent fast like Oko. So, I mean, in some sense, a lot of people probably got spoiled <laughs> when, uh, oh, here's this free mana uh, Planeswalker that's just going to destroy your opponent. But, uh, like, this card does a lot of other things instead. Uh, everything from just throwing your leftover chicken, which is your Birds of Paradise, at your opponent's Elvish Reclaimer or Jace the Mind Sculptor if they're into that stuff, uh, to just having this really annoying creature that they can't Red Elemental Blast, unlike Oko. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it has some really funky interaction that I'm going to get into briefly. But... Then there's something that I'd like to call the, the Grist effect, and it's pretty close to the Oko effect in, that we had back in the day, where um, the longer it gets to marinate in play, you know, just sit and pump out creatures, uh, elks for Oko and insects for uh, Grist, it gets so hard to pressure Grist. Uh, if you play a creature that's better than an elk in the, uh, back in the day, it becomes one. And if you play uh, a creature that's worse than an elk, you're not pressuring Oko. And Grist has similar patterns, but a lot of things is better than a 1-1 insect uh, with no abilities. What's the case for Grist then? Well, you play a creature to fight it. And if you have no other creatures on the battlefield, it's just going to trade with an insect. Uh, You'll minus the Grist. Uh, you lose a 1-1 insect and 2 loyalty, but the threat that they just presented is gone. And if you're playing a deck like Aluren, you have a lot of annoying creatures to just clog the board with already. Like uh, Icefang Quattle, you have Endurance now. Uh, so I just think this deck is... It, it presents a really annoying uh, wall to get through if you're a fair opponent. And I'm all about that. I want my opponent to like hesitate a lot when they're gonna attack um, so if you're not on prismatic ending or similar effects uh, this card is just going to sit there and slowly kill uh, your opponent especially if you're a creature deck and <laughs> that's not elves i'm not looking at you elves player you <laughs> you're probably thinking that's a very cute grist and then you put <laughs> hoof on the battlefield and swing for 60 or something like that that's uh i'm not trying to combat elf's player with this card um but yeah it's a it's a very good tool to both combat delver uh, decks because uh, delver can be quite fret light and uh, this card sure the most of the tokens can't really block the latest threats of delver but the minus part of this card is actually really good uh, I just think it's a very strong card to have in an already, uh, what can you say, mid-range to slow deck like Alern. And of course, I think this, this card is very good against Bant mid-rangicals or whatever you want to call it. Um, I think both of those decks are quite perf- quite strong performers right now in the metagame. And uh, therefore, having a, a bug deck or a Sultai deck, if you're into that lingo, uh, can be quite a good pick. Uh, during this week, I tested against Bant, and I had this super cathartic experience when my Grist snuck in between a Swords to Plowshares and a Force of Negation. And there are a few cards in Legacy that's relevant to the metagame uh, that meet that criteria and is playable. Yes, I know, I know. Uh, true name nemesis, oh, it can't be Swords, and, uh, you know, Force of Negation doesn't do anything. And that's true. That's definitely true. But if you would like to pressure a Miracles deck, would you rather have this super annoying Grist in play that's going to kill their Jace, kill their Narset, 
Kildur mentor or endurance or whatever, and just sit there and slowly make small incremental, uh, make a small increments of value each turn, or this free one beater that they have to find terminus for. I'm definitely more of the first one. I I completely agree. I mean, uh, true name nemesis looks uh, kind of awkward when your opponent has uh, Uro in play. <laughs> I mean, are you attacking and he's just gaining back three life, or are you on blocking and uh, opponent is drawing a card and putting a land into play? So yeah, I think I think that decks like this in general, you know, like Aluren and the food chains of the world, gets a pretty healthy boost uh, by Bant and. Uh, a deck like Green White Depths, uh, which I believe is very strong in the current meta due to some of the new cards as well. Um, I think I think it's a very healthy place for a uh, mid-range creature combo deck to be at, which I think is very fun. I play a lot of those decks, um, but these decks are also soft to combo, like TES or Doomsday, uh, which the latest configuration that I played. Uh, does not really help a lot with. Sure, I, I hear a lot of people say that Endurance can snag that uh, Doomsday victory once in a while, but I think that's a very corner case scenario where that's very relevant in a deck like uh, Aluren. I think a lot of times uh, it's not going to get there uh, in this deck. Maybe in a deck like Miracles where you're presenting threats on other angles as well in sort of combo or you know, ways to mess with them. I think Endurance is a lot better there to, you know, shake them a bit when they want to combo. But yeah, uh, this deck is super cool. And uh, Robin, you've played against this deck twice now. Um, what has your vibe been? I mean, uh, I, I really like uh, Aluren as a deck. It, it has uh, a real strong like staying power with all your roadblocks that you sort of put in the way and and grist certainly uh, like power up that plan to to just remove threats present blockers just staying alive and uh, with an impeccable mana base you you usually can um, like bridge into the late game where where you have this uh, i win button that that you will eventually draw into. So I, I really like the place of, of this deck right now. It seems really strong. And I mean, <clears throat> this kind of deck has always been bad against combo. That's just how it is. But in Aluren's case, I think it's quite all right because you can play, you do play the Endurance, right? So you have sort of main deck answers to Doomsday piles. Uh, and uh, like Aluren is quite good against Show and Tell, isn't it? Yeah, I I would say not not favored because uh, it's it's quite hard still to beat an omniscience uh, if they put that in, but most of the times when they put in an emerald, uh, you're gonna get there, and uh, yeah, I think the class on uh, on show and tell for an example is that you you can't put in planeswalkers, right? Yep. So. When Grist is in your hand, it's actually a creature, so you can get their Emrakul if they put that in. Uh, just another really weird Grist scenario that is quite cool. Because you can put it in and then just take your turn, and they can't force uh, the shenanigans that you're going to do. Uh, if they had a force to protect their Emrakul, they better hope you don't have a creature in play. But this is a creature-heavy deck, so their Emrakul might get minused so sick I, I, did, I didn't think about that so yeah I, I think it it looks really really strong and and grist uh, has been performing uh, way better than I, I I thought it would when I was just looking at it being spoiled and 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 I also like that it's kind of good in in multiples you can play four in it in a deck and because if you mill it off your first grist you, you get an extra insect and an extra loyalty counter so it's I, I really like it I think uh, Grist is also a card that Victor has been looking at quite a bit. Um, what are your thoughts so far? It still feels like a sleeper because we're still discovering what this card can actually do. The possibility, it just it, it will uh, slowly but surely keep feeding the graveyard, uh, which I think is another sort of um, potential that this card has that we haven't really looked at too much. Uh, so, I mean, there, there is still so much brewing 
to be done with this card. Uh, also, I mean, the ultimate ability, I think, might not be extraordinarily powerful, but still has... Um, it gives inevitability in the Luren. Uh, I mean, for example, you can just sort of keep on filling your graveyard with these creatures that you have in your deck and then just ulti it. Uh, and then I'm sure there are also things that we haven't thought of. I mean, again, it's a creature. I use it in my in my Yorion Nickfit in as a cyborg con because I can fetch it with Living Wish. Again, I'm, I'm sure there are uh, more cards that we want to find synergies with, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that in these coming months. Yeah, I think everything from... Uh, what I haven't seen yet is one being Vildin. <laughs> but I, I I long for that because that's gonna make my day that day. Oh, but, you're giving me ideas now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one thing that you mentioned, uh, the learn deck that I'm playing, it it does sometimes need another angle, and I mentioned that uh, last week. But the deck also plays free Uro, and the plus ability, uh, feeding the graveyard, when you hit that Uro on the plus, and you get to play it. Uh, the same turn, like maybe turn four or five. I mean, Uro is quite a good card. Very good, very good. Uh, I I like that we we have established some sort of bingo cards that we want to see being played together. Wouldn't it be cool to see uh, Ursa's Saga fetching up a vial that ticks up to three and then uh, vials in the grist? That would be something to see. Welcome to my modern cube drafts uh, <laughs> in the future. You will be able to do exactly this. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Victor, have you been playing any games this week? Alas, I have not. Uh, just as last week, uh, a family member, another family member, uh, ended up in the emergency. Uh, so that's quite dramatic. Everything's fine. It's been going fine. Uh, sort of routine surgery had to be taken care of. And uh, that has, uh, of course, taken precedence over, over playing cardboard. Uh, hopefully uh, next weekend I won't be going to the ER uh, that would be the sort of the full house I guess uh, and if I'm not going to the ER this coming weekend I do hope to jam some games uh, in the coming days I'm gonna put Victor goes to the ER on my bingo card now thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> always pleasure to have you on the cast <laughs> we introduced the basic land connoisseur panel. Uh, in this segment, we discuss which basic lands are the optimal choices for popular legacy decks when playing them in paper, as they should be played. Um, we had some nice feedback from last week's discussion about Sneak and Show and Blue Red Delver. Uh, thank you, listeners, for that. And it has inspired us, of course, to keep going. So, for today's panel, we are going to talk about something darker, Swamps. And more specifically, the Swamps of Mono Black Pox, a uh, a legacy mainstay and uh, in some people's views uh, also a legacy powerhouse. Uh, we're not going to go in deep uh, on the different variants of, of the Pox deck. Uh, uh, if you have access to the internet, you will find uh, excellent resources uh, all around uh, if, uh, if you want to find out more about this deck and why it's fantastic. Uh, we are, of course, instead going to talk about the basic lands you should play in this Pox deck. And uh, Christopher, why don't you take it off? Pox usually plays a lot of basics. I'm not a Pox expert, but I wanted to see what kind of basics that catches, you know, dread and sickness. Because, yeah, that's that's what Pox is. Uh, we've, we're at the end of a pandemic, yeah, fingers crossed. And uh, I think we've all gotten a bit of taste to what dreadness, isolation, and uh, these kinds of uh, uh, things can do to you and your head. So I'm going to invite you all to my headspace and present you with three different uh, swamps. And they're actually, all of them are from Portal or Portal Second Age. And the first one is from Portal, 
the first portal. And it's the uh, very white, brown, grayish uh, swamp with uh, some trees. It has some broken bark. Uh, the trees are hollow. It's It just looks like it got decimated by some sort of disease. Um, looking at this, I feel like going and washing my hands, but uh, I haven't I haven't been there, but it's it's definitely it doesn't feel healthy. It feels very uh, bad. And the other one from Portal uh, Second Age definitely follows that. I picked the one with a skeleton uh, in the uh, in the woods. It's just lying there, and God knows for how long. That's Definitely me when I get smallpox turn two when I played out uh, one of my few basics <laughs> and uh, Birds of Paradise. That's a pretty good reenactment. I'm that skeleton whenever I get pox turn two and get get got real bad. Uh, the third one is also from Second Age and it's a uh, it's the one with a small swamp before a what looks like a city of some kind. When looking at it, um, the whole the whole city has collapsed. It's the land you sacrifice. It's it's sunk into the ground, and it looks as bad as the environment. And I think all of these three just scream pox and dread. So these were my picks. I love how in the first uh, swamp, the portal swamp, with the, the yellowy barkless tree and this sort of some kind of river flowing uh, and this river has the same sort of dark turquoise color as the sky it it just really looks sick <laughs> yeah sick to the core uh, i love this one but i hadn't seen it before uh, this is a great find uh, in my view I like how all these three lands are almost just black and white or grayish. It, it's a l- very little color on them, but the the little color that is 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 really sickening. <laughs> yeah, I love Portal. It it really gets that feeling of you know sickness. So uh, speaking of color, shall I go with mine? Uh, because uh, I have been uh, looking at the card pox, and uh, there's two. Uh, images, different illustrations, and both are quite yellow. And uh, the one that is my favorite is the one from uh, M12, uh, with the the guy that is leaning back and uh, like holding a hands to his head. Like b- both are holding the hands to his head with the pockets, but one of them is leaning back. And that card is 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 it's the it's the old black frame and the very yellowy uh, illustration. So I was uh, looking to find a basic land that sort of uh, uh, resonated with that yellowness. <clears throat> so I have a, a few a few examples here. Uh, and the first one is from Mirrodin Besieged. It's uh, number 151 in the set. And it looks sort of like a cave. Uh, or maybe it's, uh, it just looks like a cave uh, because it's smoke piles that is uh, coming from the uh, from the ground. But it it it's it looks very unhealthy just as in in your uh, swamps, Christopher. Uh, a, a lot of yellow smoke or yellow steam is coming out of the ground, and it it, it looks quite sickening. And then I have uh, if you're into uh, full art pictures, there's a few nice swamps that is also a little bit yellowy and this one is from the double masters uh, number 378 uh, and it, it, it looks like a, a wood with this yellowy smoke or yellowy haze behind it uh, I like it quite a lot but uh, <clears throat> honorable mention if you play pox I don't think you play fetch lands in that so you have an opportunity to to play lands that doesn't uh, that that doesn't need to be found, and uh, you don't need to pair them with duels, which may look weird. So you can go for something totally different. And I found this swamp by Seb McKinnon that I liked very much from the Secret Lair uh, land package, which is a, a, a old dead tree, and then there's a, a a warrior, a soldier. 
standing there. I like it very much. I like Seb McKinnon art. So those are my picks. Yeah, Seb McKinnon, uh, the Seb McKinnon swamp uh, from Secret Lair is really fire. Uh, I love it. Also how this tree that this knight stands in front of is huge and also kind of looks like it has a mouth where it sort of has this knob uh, with a missing branch as if this creature was some kind of huge insect. It's extremely disgusting. And I also love the, the, the Mirrodin Besieged Swamp that you talked about by Lars Grant West. Uh, I mean, to me, it looks like Gorgoroth. Like, this is, this is, this is the, the, the very air you breathe is a poisonous fume. Like, this is, this is the poisonous fume that, that is this very air. And also goes, I mean, I'm a big lore person, and I love the lore of Mirrodin Besieged. Uh, and how these sort of good Mirrodin guys uh, actually just lose out this war. They're just completely wiped out <laughs> by the Phyrexians. And looking at this art of this swamp, you can sort of you can see where things are going, and I think that fits well with Pox. Yeah, I think for everyone who has played uh, Cube, the Mirrodin Besieged really gives off uh, what's that uh, card name? It's the Death Cloud or something. It's a free mana sorcery, and it, I I don't know if it has X or XX, but this card definitely looks like. Yeah, you took black mana to cast Death Cloud with this one. I I really like it, and uh, yeah, like like you two said, Seb McKinnon is just great. This uh, swamp is very beautiful, and uh, I'm I'm not super big on secret layers, but the Seb McKinnon one is undeniably very nice. Uh, I love the Sour of Temptation that really goes into this same uh, sort of feel of you know like you're in the you're in this old uh, forest it's not longer alive this the only thing with strong colors in this frame is is the night and uh, yeah that kind of that's kind of uh, alarming it's uh, it might change so from my side i mean you guys have given lots of good examples of, of basic swamps that's going to fit this deck as uh, so i'm going to take uh, a route uh, there is uh, as i understand it uh, some pox players who choose to play snow-covered uh, swamps because you have uh, Dread of Winter uh, as a card, for example. And I have, uh, I mean, uh, I've always been slightly disappointed in the art direction for the snow-covered lands. Uh, I don't really like the snow-covered lands from original Ice Age. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the Cold Snap ones. I really did not like the Modern Horizons 1 full art snow basics. The art direction is just strange to me. But then this year, Kaldheim was released. And in my view, Kaldheim has really nice snow-covered basic land art. I really like the art direction of these cards and also how these cards are sort of around the mana symbol. There is frost and there is uh, the, the, the sort of the snow-covered theme goes into the entire card. Um, incidentally, the swamps are, I think, uh, perhaps the least uh, impressive ones, but I think that might be because it's just really difficult to, to, to portray a snow-covered swamp. Yeah, <laughs> it it's, it doesn't really it doesn't really lend itself to sort of yeah it's covered in snow uh, it's a swamp uh, but uh, card two eighty from Kaldheim uh, by Adam Paquette I think is is a very nice uh, a very nice uh, sort of how do I make a snow covered swamp look nice and I think what he, what he's done specifically with this art is uh, some very interesting work on a mist that comes in over the swamp which is both very white and gray but also super blue uh, uh, when it sort of comes closer to the ground and i think that creates a really nice effect it becomes very dramatic uh, but i, I strongly rec recommend anyone who needs to play a snow-covered basic land to check out the kaldheim snow-covered lands because they are gorgeous I'm immediately gonna thank you for that because I have s some real problems with the uh, with the snow-covered lands as well. I, I think they are hideous, <laughs> and I've been I've been white bordering uh, old Ice Age uh, snow-covered lands to play in, in Snowco and other decks. So I'm go definitely gonna look into the Caldheim snow-covered lands. And I think also there's a small uh, moral victory when you're playing uh, snow-covered lands in a pox deck. Uh, because if I'm not wrong, I think the first Pox card is from Ice Age, uh, where this uh, this person is lying in the bed, and it, uh, I mean, compared to the small Pox uh, 
pictures. That person does not look as ill, but that picture is more dreading because it's slow and painful. It's like Monday morning work, but worse. So yeah, I think the uh, having a snow covered was really a nice touch. It's when viruses and bacteria are the strongest. Christopher, the summer in Stockholm is hot. What effects does this have on your brewing? Well, I mean, uh, what do you, what can I say? You know, hot weather, hot brews. Um, I'm working on a deck that I'm going to present uh, later, not today. Um, so I thought that now, uh, now this would be a perfect week to have a small discussion or theory craft session with you too. Um, so rather than talking than a specific brew showcase, I would like to open up a discussion about brews in general. So we're seeing a lot of configuration with the latest addition to Legacy, uh, that is Modern Horizons 2, but not all of them would be considered a brew by a lot of people. Simply switching certain cards uh, to better the deck uh, does not really constitute uh, a brew for a lot of people. Especially the Delver meme, you know, like, uh, oh, look at my Delver brew, and then there's four Ragalan in it. <laughs> like, oh, that's uh, very spicy. So, like, what constitutes a, a, a brew? If you would cut Ballista or Hydrocrasis in food chain and put in Eve Progenitorus, is that a brew or just a card choice? Uh, personally, I think that in order for something to be a brew, even if it's using a lot of similar cards to another shell, I think that the deck should op operate in a not uh, noticeably different way. Um, putting Ragavan in your blue-red Delver deck is uh, not really significant to the play patterns. It's a creature that presents a clock and a tempo for a very small amount of mana. It's uh, It could have been uh, <laughs> rest in peace Nimble Mongoose or uh, something along those lines. It's a very cheap and effective threat. Um, so when it comes to, uh, for an example, putting Eve in food chain, the, uh, the ooze, uh, it might create some new play patterns as uh, going for an earlier combo uh, without infinite mana, just chaining recruiters together and presenting a, a storm five or six Eve to the opponent. And um, this is a similar play pattern for food chain in the terms of griffins and, you know, going wide. But it's, it's not all that conventional for food chains to play this way. So what constitutes a brew for you two? We can start with Victor. I mean, for me, what constitutes a brew um, basically involves going outside of everyone else's comfort zone. Be it with new cards or old cards. You're saying, okay... This is something that no one has tried, or this is a card that everyone said, yeah, you could do this, but it's not good enough. Uh, and then no one does it. Uh, um, that to me is sort of, that's where it starts. You're doing something other people aren't comfortable with daring to try. Uh, that's where a brew happens for me. Yeah, I, I, I agree on that take. I, I think that you are correct in just like uh, changing one threat for another threat is not really constituting a brew but uh, in, in my opinion like the brew like the brew part is more about the core of the deck which is usually sort of the play style or the engine of the deck so for example if you would play food chain but you would cut griffins completely and just play the colorless uh, eldrassi I, I don't remember the name but the 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 the, the scourge the, the scourge right that that would be uh, uh, quite brew in my opinion because it would uh, like uh, change a fundamental as aspect of of that deck and try something 
a different plan, uh, a different engine card, so to say. Um, so I, I completely agree. If if you do something different with the deck, uh, so that it sort of does something else, uh, and I think that uh, your example with uh, Ragavan, it that card can be in a brew if it uh, sort of uh, is not just a threat that you are actually using its abilities uh, for something that is important in that deck. Um, for for instance, playing on your opponent. Uh, your your opponent's top card. If that is like uh, important to the deck for the deck to function, then I think that Ragavan can be a brew card, <laughs> so to say. Yeah, I I, I agree. And also like uh, Ragavan, putting that in your pirate tribal with uh, Gura Peredigrid or something, uh, you know, something spicy like that. Uh, that would make Ragavan into a really brewy card. But that's not probably where Ragavan is at its best. Um. So I'm going to throw a couple of combinations towards you two, and I'd just like to hear whether or not uh, the ball that I just threw is a brew. So Robin, we start with you. Playing Murktide Regent, Phyrexian Dreadnought, Stifles, Berserk, and Dress Down in Shadow. Is that a brew? Yeah, I mean, that is uh, a pile of cards <laughs> to begin with. Uh, I would say it's a brew. It, it's it's not really as as I was saying, maybe changing the engine of the deck because you're like the deck is still trying to make real big guys and swing with them. So I I, I sort of think that it's it's in the same sort of wheelhouse that Shadow already is, but it's so many cards <laughs> that is added to that deck. So I I can't say that it's not a brew. Of course it's a brew. And Victor, yeah, playing Berserk. <laughs> I'm like what. <laughs> that's 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 uh that's something out of a outside of everyone else's comfort zone uh, in that deck uh if you and no one would expect you uh to do it and that might also be perhaps uh, a characteristic of a brewy thing you take a defined shell and then you do something completely different with it that just sort of takes your opponent by uh surprise i would be surprised to sit on the opponent as an opponent and then you cast Berserk. I'd be like, I'm not ready for that. Yeah, I, I saw this on the deck dump and it was just too too good. Uh, it, it was one of the five O's in the league and I was like, what am I looking at? This is beautiful. <laughs> um, so next curveball, Victor, playing Brea's Apprentice, Ursa Saga and Retrofit the Foundry in Mono Red Painter. Hmm. This is a tough one. Uh, I don't know if this is a brew, but that might be because I see painter as such an umbrella. Like painter is uh, painter is is like a church where a lot of people can come with a lot of weird pet cards uh, and just jam them into the painter shell. I'm guessing because the painter shell kind of lends itself to that. Uh, like the, the, the A plus B component of, of painter isn't is quite small. Uh, and there are lots of different ways you can you can get there. So perhaps it's not so much a brew as a very innovative way of looking at monored painter. I mean, I could not say it better than than Victor, but <clears throat> I think that I would ultimately, probably, if if I came with this deck, I would call it a brew. I think because it's it's just not how how painted decks uh, have have been constructed, at least not before Modern Horizons two. But um, I, I agree that it it's more of a variation or a, 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 maybe you can say it, it's an attempt to to do something else with. Uh, a more regular mono red painted deck. Yeah, I I completely agree uh, with you too. And I've I've played a fair bunch of of painter, and I think like Brea's Apprentice is just uh, it's another free drop in this deck, and uh, it's uh, it's a card choice. And Ursa Saga and Retrofitter go hand in hand, especially in an artifact deck. So I I think this would not be a brew, but it would be probably an upgrade uh, in some metas. So next one is for Robin, Timeless Dragon and Ursa Saga in Standstill. 
So Timeless Dragon is a dragon that you can cycle for land, is that so? Timeless Dragon is three and a white creature dragon flying, planes cycling two, eternalize two and two white, a five five. Yeah, so the eternalize is uh, what's making this spicy. It's uh, rather than casting it from your uh, graveyard, you pay uh, two and two white, uh, so two white white, to exile it and use it as an ability to just, you know, put this into play as a 4 4 zombie dragon. And uh, it also, like, it, it plays through standstill. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, very interesting inclusions in standstill. So this is basically adding new cards to an e- existing shell. Uh, I mean, of course, when you add new cards, it's it's going to be a little bit of brewing involved, but uh, you're not really doing anything new. So I guess I would, would say it's, uh, again, more of an attempt to develop the deck than, than, than a brew. I think I, I agree with Robin. Uh, I think t- this counts more as innovation. However, I think it would be brewy if you were to create a standstill eternalize deck. Like, I mean, this is one creature that has eternalized. It's certainly not the only one. And if there are interesting ways that you, through a standstill deck, could get cards into your graveyard that you would then eternalize, what would that look like? That to me would be the brew sort of uh, standstill around an eternalized engine instead of the instead of man lands uh, that I guess Ursa Saga counts as in this uh, in this context. Yeah, I kind of I kind of agree. For me, this feels like a boomer alert. This feels like a decree of justice type of card. Uh, like back in the day when you played some standstill decks, uh, cycling a card such as uh, Decree of Justice. I think Decree of Justice is the white one. Uh, you got to create a lot of creatures and it didn't track your standstill. And I think this kind of plays in the same uh, in the same uh, uh, space as uh, Decree. So I would not... I'm, I'm going to be the, the one that says, I don't think this is a brew. This feels more like optimization. Uh, like Standstill decks wants to hit their land drops. This plane cycles and then it's just i mean on on turn four do you really want to make a 2-2 shark or do you want to put a 4-4 flying uh, zombie into play i think this is a pretty sweet card for that so yeah i think you both had some really interesting thoughts uh, overall and i think we're all pretty much on the same page of what constitutes a brew so that's all i wanted to discuss here and back to the front desk that's all we have for this week, folks. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us. And if anyone wants to reach out, where can we be found? Robin? You can find me on Facebook. That's where I uh, do most of my uh, Magic the Gathering interaction online. And yeah, you can find me at Monolith MTG. And I can be found at Disco Drogo on Twitter. Uh, thank you so much to uh, Franes who has written our amazing music you can find them on Spotify uh, that is the end of the 6th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report thank you Robinson Sian and Christopher Wikström my name is Victor Bernhardt until next time make sure to put on your Wellington boots <laughs> <laughs>